And you and I, we come to that place where we truly believe. Because if we don't really believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, then we are a people who are fools. Who are fools. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord. That, Lord, that we are a people, O oh God, who have the privilege of living a life in the power of the resurrected Lord. Through the one that he had promised unto us, his Holy Spirit. That we would live life above the normal plane. That we would be a people who walk on a higher ground. That we would be a people who recognize, yet we have lost something, but yet we are reaching out for that which we have gained through his resurrection. Help us to see that this morning. That through death, we gained. Through Jesus Christ going to the cross, through Jesus Christ being resurrected, that we are a people who are blessed and we are a people who profit from his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And may we live in that power. May we live in that power. May we live knowing in whom we believe and that he is yet alive and sitteth at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Lord, may you minister to us this morning. And, oh God, quiet our hearts. Because, Lord, for some of us, we come in here for all the sometimes wrong reasons. But, Lord, may you quiet our hearts and may we hear your voice this morning. May your Holy Spirit speak to us. And may, oh God, we leave out of this place different from which we came in. That's every one of us, Lord. Give us a new glimpse of thee. Give us a new glimpse of your power. Give us a new understanding of why we are living today. And Lord, we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Loss through gain. Loss yet gaining. Loss to gain. Whenever you lose something, I want you to take note of it. That you also gain. It's amazing when somebody loses a leg, how well they can still yet get around and balance themselves. A gentleman who lived behind us by the name of Bud, he was a carpenter, but he lost his leg. He's on his crutches. But if you go down Bud's basement, he had his saw. He had his sanders, and when I say saw, he had like a 12-foot table with a big saw in the middle that he could rip almost anything and build anything. Bud was a carpenter. And Bud could hop around on that one leg with his 2x4 or 2x8 and hold that thing. And I mean, somehow, he was able to adjust even with his disability. When a person becomes blind, guess what? Their hearing picks up. Their senses become more alert. And sometimes they can see better without a 
eyesight than we who have eyesight. For they hear every little thing. They don't miss anything. Somehow their hearing becomes very keen and alert. And often sometimes when those who lose their hearing, their eyesight picks up. As something where God makes up somehow. That for a loss that we have been somewhat depended on or we take for granted. But we wind up gaining through it. Even in the loss of parents, it's strange when I hear people talk about their parents sometime while they're living, and then how that story changes after death. The memories become real fresh. And mom and dad becomes a nicer individual. <laughs> They become someone that was a blessing to their lives. They were someone that were two individuals that they just praised God for. But while they were living, them old mean folks, they wouldn't have anything, this and that. But, but somehow, we never appreciate something sometime until we what? Lose it. And sometimes we grieve over the issue of a lost job, not knowing God's taking us what? To a better job. Sometimes we grieve over friends, not knowing the new friends that we're going to develop because of Christ. Many can tell you what they have lost in life, but few can really tell you what they have gained because of their loss. And the reality is, boy, we all lose in life at times. But God never takes from us without giving to us. He never takes from us without giving to us. The women had lost one who saw them differently in this life. Think of the woman of that day. She was considered more property than as an individual. Very little could they do without the permission of a husband. There are some of us in this place that remember when we first got married, our wives could not have a credit card unless they had it in whose name. I can remember a time that when my wife could not go downtown and sign for anything, even though she forged my name, you know, I can remember when a woman couldn't have a driver's license and couldn't drive. And my mom never had a driver's license. Dad chauffeured everywhere and was dependent upon dad to take her. But the woman was not allowed to really have a driver's license. Women, sometime in the Bible, were looked upon as second-class citizens. But when Jesus Christ came along and came into their lives, he elevated them. He gave them worth. He gave them value. He gave them importance. And women somehow, because of their dependency upon Jesus Christ, 
catch this, even more than so upon a husband, and a husband should never be jealous based on how much a wife loves the Lord Jesus Christ. That is an asset to you. It takes some of the pressure off of you. Because they have someone in their life that's even greater than the husband, than what you are. And these women, boy, they were there. They were there. So when you go to Luke chapter uh, 24, you find something that takes place. They are up early in the morning. And they're running or off to the tomb. And, and, and the whole process is that they're going to go see that one who really gave them meaning in life. The one who really set them free in life. The one who gave them a different value in life. The one who really lifted them up in life. And it says in that verse 1, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Boy, they're up early and they're gone to the tomb. They're there to celebrate. They're there to see the one in whom they loved and the one who loved them. And the whole thing comes about. Mary Magdalene 9 and 10. Jesus healed her from demons. Jesus set her free from an emotional and immoral type life and her problems that she would carry with her daily. Jesus set her free. She is just one of the women who helps support in the whole process. There's Joanna, whose husband had a very high position in Herod's household, over all of his property, if you go back to Joseph, in a sense, somebody who was taking care of the property and the things that he possessed and the things that he owned. And here's this woman in a high position. May not have need for anything, but yet needed Jesus Christ. And came to that place where she is following Jesus and supporting Jesus financially. And going into ministry with Jesus. Yet still having a husband to see about. And things to take care of at home. But also finding time and place to do ministry with Jesus. And giving up her substance for that ministry. And then you find Mary. Some say this is the mother of James the Less. Because there's a couple of Jameses that's going on here. And here she is. She traveled also, especially into Galilee, into the ministry with Jesus. Now, one of the things that is really noted about her, yes, she supported also in the area of finances, but you could say in a sense, uh, like Roger and Barb, Roger go nowhere without his cook. He always has his cook with him. Here's this marriage. She was the preparer of food 
for the disciples in Jesus. She made sure they ate well. She ministered to them in that capacity of being able to help them. Because sometimes when you're out ministering all day, you're not ready to go home and cook. Well, somebody was there to help to take care of that part. And that was part of what Mary did. She helped take care of the food area and supplied them with what they had need of and also helped prepare it and get it ready for them. These women loved the Lord Jesus Christ. They told all these things to the eleven. Go with me into 24 and get to verse 9 with me. I can find it here. Get these glasses off. They help deceive and sometimes they don't. It says in verse 9, When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and said to all the others, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James. And if you go through the different Gospels, you'll find other women's names there, Sue Ann and so forth. You'll find other women involved also. And the scripture tells us there were many other women besides what was being named here. And others with them who told this to the apostles. Catch verse 11 now. But they did not believe they did not believe the women. Because in that day, women were not credible in sharing the truth. Women always somehow made it bigger or they somehow fabricated. Women could not even give testimony in the court or whatever. But these women, catch this, are not strangers to these eleven. They should have been what? Credible. They should have been able to believe these women. Why? These women were also in ministry with Jesus. But somehow, we take the circumstances in which we are now living sometime, and we apply that to the women. And these men took the women of that day just like the natural women of that day. That they are not credible. Can't really believe that the story is fabricated. And they came back and told them of the empty tomb. And it says in verse 11, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. They didn't believe because, boy, the words were idle talk. Just women talking. Talking about an incredible story. Just making up a story. The whole process. The women had lost someone who was dear to them. The women had lost someone who was very close to them. The women had lost someone who had given them new life, new meaning. Had really brought out the importance of their womanhood and valued them. Valued them. Gave them value. 
Now, where were the men? When you get again, John chapter 20 and verse 19. Remember what the women were doing the first day of the week? They were off where? To the tomb. They were on their way to anoint the body of our Lord and Savior. They were there because they wanted to go see the one who was important to them. Where were the men? Go over to John chapter 20. Go to verse 19. On the evening of that first day, the week, when the disciples were together, with doors what? Locked. With doors locked. And it tells us that the doors are locked because of fear. The doors are locked because of fear. And rightly so. But more than that, I think, these men are also grieving for that which they also have lost. For they had lost a leader. They had lost someone who was very important in their life. Remember, they had given three years, three and a half years of their life with Jesus. And now all of a sudden, he's gone. Even though he had told them earlier what was going to happen when he goes to Jerusalem, that there would be those who would put him to death and that he would die. But he would rise on the third day. It's easy to believe the first part of the story, that I would die. Why? Because the Romans were good executioners. The Romans had no problem putting people to death. No problem believing that part of the story. But very difficult mentally to believe that after three days, he would come forth from the grave. Easy to believe the first part because that was natural. That's something I understood. I understood death. I've seen death. I've seen the Romans crucify other people. But of all those other people, we've never seen any come forth from where? The grave. And it says, boy, on the eve of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, for those who they themselves had now taken side with Jesus about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyers, the scribes, they had sided with Jesus rather than their basic religion. And some of us have a problem believing our old-time religion or believing our so-called made-up beliefs to really follow Jesus Christ. But they had, in a sense, forsaken, in a sense, what they grew up with, what they knew, to follow Jesus. 
to understand what they were taught of the old had now come to what? A reality. To truth. They could see the Messiah, the one who was said to come. They walked with him. They held him. They ate with him. They were sharing life with him. And they were able to behold him. And now, all of a sudden, he's gone. And they're there. They were there because of fear, yes. They also were there because they had lost someone who was very meaningful to them in life. Someone who gave them a reason to live for three years in a sense. They left their occupation. They left how they themselves earned a living. Yes, they went back to it every now and then. But the thing is now, their greatest dependence was on Jesus Christ. Some of you have walked with the Lord three years, four years, ten years. Some of you grew up in church. But you're asking this question. How does that bless me? What's the meaning of that? What do I get out of it? What riches do I get out of it? What blessings do I get out of it? How does it profit me to believe in Jesus Christ? And the disciples are struggling with that too, I believe. For they had lost and they had poured all in a sense to Jesus. And as Peter said, we have left home and we have left this and we have left that to follow after you. Now what? He's gone. He's gone. They were afraid because they had lost one who they gave three years of their life to. And you might be saying, I've been serving the Lord for three years, for five years, for ten years. And how has that profited me? Let me share something with you. If all you get out of this is salvation... That's all we deserve. We don't deserve one blessing, one inheritance. We don't deserve a better life. We don't deserve one blessing from God. But he opens up a window of heaven and he pours out blessings upon us in spite of ourselves. He blesses us. He blesses us. And we don't deserve it. And we're asking that question. Why should I follow Jesus? Why should I sing for Jesus? Why should I preach for Jesus? Why should I witness for Jesus? Why should I live for Jesus? Because he died for you. And came forth from the grave for you. You have to know that up here and let it sink down here. If it stays up here. You got knowledge, but you don't have nothing in here that will transform your life. Your knowledge got to go from here to here for a transformation to really take place 
that your life would change. Because the very issues of life flow from where? From out of the heart. And it's the heart that reveals that there's been a transformation that takes place. For that which comes out of the mouth also proceeds from where? From the heart. And man can see the change that takes place that flows out of the heart. It has meaning. And guess what? The question is now before them. Because Jesus isn't there. We were famous while Jesus was here. People recognized us while Jesus was here. We really had meaning and stature while Jesus was here. For we were the ones who fed the 5,000 and people looked at. We were the ones who fed the 4,000. We were the ones that were with him when he healed people. We were the ones who were with him when he said, Lazarus, come forth from the grave. And we were right there with him and we saw the healings. We saw the miracles. Now he's not here. What becomes of us? What happens to us now? Our position in life goes from here to here. Because Jesus isn't here. Well, when Jesus was here, boy, we had fame too. We had people who were calling out to us too. And while Jesus was here, boy, he sent us out and we cast out demons and we preached and we taught. We did all. Now what are we going to do? That Jesus is gone. You see what these men might be struggling with? Behind closed doors? What's their future? And some of you are still hiding behind locked doors and grieving about your past. Did you make the right decision to follow Jesus? Did you make the right decision to commit your life to Jesus? Some of you are still behind locked doors and Jesus wants to unlock those doors for you that you can walk and live in the freedom that he has given unto you. And they're there contemplating their lives because they were there with Jesus when he was teaching. He was there. They were there when, boy, yes, when you're arguing with the Pharisees. They were there. And now he's gone. The loss of the one who gave them importance in life. It was a hard thing for me to leave Christ's life. Chrysler, in a sense, was a secure place. Chrysler was a a place where I made a pretty good living for my wife and my three children. But let me share something with you. I have had a much wonderful life that I could not have purchased. Even though I made money at Chrysler, live good. I would not have traveled. I would not have done the things that God allowed to take place in my life if it were not leaving something that many people thought I was losing. 
because I had a number of people tell me, stay at Chrysler and go ahead and be a preacher. After speaking to about four or five other pastors, I had one pastor who told me, leave and go prepare yourself for the ministry. And it has been a blessing because of that. Sometimes you lose in order to gain. What have I gained? I've gained 52 years living with a wonderful woman. That may not have happened without Jesus Christ. I have gained the respect of three wonderful children and grandchildren. That may not have happened without Jesus Christ. I've gained riches untold in meeting different people and ministering in different places that I would have never took place without following Christ and leaving Christ. Yes, you may for a moment think you've lost something, but God has a future for you that is far greater than what you could ever imagine. On your own. If you're willing to allow him to lead your life. And understand something. You're going to be like the disciples. You're going to be fearful of that. Because the key is this. Not for you to know everything. But for you to learn to trust him. As you walk through this life. And we are a people who want to what? know everything. We want the plan laid out for us before we invest in it. Before we give to it. With the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, come, follow me. And the other one is simply this. Obey me. Obey me. And in your obedience, you show forth your love to me. And understand, I'm not giving you a spirit of fear. But as you walk with me at times, because, yes, the flesh is there, the flesh is real. Yes, you're going to tremble. Yes, you're going to have those moments of fear. But I'll never leave you nor forsake you, and I'll give you something that's beyond what man is able to give. I'll give you a peace. That surpasses the understanding of men. If you'll just follow me and walk with me and trust me and believe my word. I'll give something to you far much richer than what you think that you've lost. And it was once better. They had lost their leader. They lost their teacher. They lost the one in a sense that gave them reason for really living. And that's something to grasp. For in 1 Corinthians 15, 2, he says, Hold firmly to the word I preached to you, Paul said. In that passage of 1 Corinthians 15, when he's talking about the resurrection, the issue is to first hold firmly to the word of God. Let's go there for a moment, because there's a couple of things we want to dig out of there that kind of like hits us. And Paul is explaining this to these men. And the whole process, he says, boy, hold firmly in verse 2. He says simply in this manner. He says, 
by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word. Now, understand this, what the disciples were dealing with at this time. They're looking yet to the future. We're looking back this way. We know the promises of God. We know what is really true of God. They were somewhat being walking by faith, not by sight. For they had not an, a book. They had the Old Testament, yes, but not how to live for Christ after he had gone. You and I, were very blessed because we can see what Christ did in their life. That we have something that says, yes, we can walk by faith and not by sight because of him who has called us. And, and, and Paul says, hold to his word. Now just think of all the teaching that the disciples may have heard or the private lessons that they were given by Jesus Christ. And the input into his life. Now they have to weigh that. Is this true? Is it profitable? Can we hold to it? And they're struggling behind those doors. Because I imagine, boy, all that they've been taught. And all that Jesus has shared with them. Is somewhat going across their mind. And the question is, is his word true? And guess what we struggle with today? Is his word true? True. Is his word sufficient? Is his word enough? Is his word, do I live in it? Do I camp out in it? Do I obey it? And he says, boy, but this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to it. How many of you are really holding firmly to the word of God in your life? How many of you are really following after the word of God in your life? How many of you are just standing at times? Lord, you promised. Lord, you promised. Lord, you said. And you hold to it. Not being moved. That is the blessing of the resurrection. That I can believe his word. That's something I've gained. That I can believe his word. Now what happened the last Three years. Are they useless? Are they useless to me? Do they have no meaning to me? Because Paul brings up that this gospel, if it's, boy, if it's useless, if it's futile, it has no value. Boy, we are men most miserable. And you and I got to figure out today, is this word of God valuable to us? To a lot of Christians, because we're not in Bible study, we're not in this, we're not engulfed in the Word, we're not really designed to learn the Word. You know what we say to a dying world? It's not really important. What's important is that you just confess the Lord Jesus Christ. And people will tell you, I accepted Christ and live like hell. And the thing is, they're not taking time to be taught how to live. To be taught how to live. Believe this. What you believe is how you will live. 
For as a man thinketh, what? So is he. What you put in your mind, what you really believe, is how you're going to conduct your life. But you'll call into question every action, every word, if you really believe Jesus Christ is alive. Because you know one day you're going to give an account of every idle word. You know one day you're going to give an account for every action you take. If you really believe that he's living, and he's going to judge you. It makes a difference. And the moment you do something wrong, the moment you say something wrong, the Holy Spirit comes right now, convict you. And guess what? Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Why? You believe he's alive. You believe he's going to judge you. You believe that he's hearing and watching everything you're doing. He's alive. And he says, boy, no, this faith is not useless. This faith is not useless. So, boy, when you get over into that area... Let me get over there a little bit. Come on, follow me just for a little bit. Start at verse 13 with me. Read down with me. And we're going to talk about a couple of these things. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is what? Useless. I'm wasting my time up here. I might always be at the gym. Me and Arlen could be playing racquetball. I could be in the water swimming. I could be at home with my feet kicked back watching a good western or something. You know, there's something else I could be doing other than being here. And for a lot of people, our faith is useless. That's why they're somewhere else. Because they don't believe there's any power in this life. They don't believe there's any power in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, it's useless then. It's useless. And so is your faith. So what I'm believing in really is useless. It can't help me. It really can't save me. It cannot advance my life. It cannot plan a future for me. What I'm believing in is useless. I better get on with life and do the planning for my life. I better go ahead and make myself possible. I better go ahead out here and do what I need to do to make some money whether it's wrong or right, because, see, this is all useless. And he goes on a little bit further, and he says in verse 15, More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. What do you think the disciples felt? Everything, because, see, we're the ones who said, This is the Son of God. This is the great teacher. This is the one that God has sent. This is the one that has power to cast out demons. See, they were the ones who were giving testimony to Jesus and all that he was doing and sharing that with the people. And all of a sudden, he's gone. Did we, did we make a mistake? Remember what John the Baptist said? Should we look for another? I imagine the disciples are going through that process too. Do we look for another one that might be greater than Jesus? Even though Jesus did all these things, should we look for another? And they're dealing with this. And he goes on a little further. Because, see, we don't want to be found as false witnesses, but true witnesses. And he says, false witnesses about God. 
we have this testimony about God, that he raised Christ. He raised Christ. That Christ is living. He's not dead. He raised Christ. But he did not raise him in the fact that dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. Because he is the first fruit of the resurrection. He has to be first to enter into heaven. He is first. And he goes on and he says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is fruto. Your faith is void of any power, any force. Your faith has no truth in it. Your faith is nothing but a lie. Your faith has no success in it for you. And the results of that, again, is that it's useless. Your faith really has no real purpose. You're living without purpose. You're living without goals. You're living because you're living without Jesus Christ. And if you're living without Jesus Christ, you are yet dead in your sins. But when you are alive in Christ, your life has a purpose. Your life has a drive. Your life is meaningful because you are a servant of the living God. And he says, in that final part, he comes on down. Come down with me in verse verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is brutal. You are still in your sins. Then those those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied. More than all men. If the resurrection is not true and Christ did not come from the grave, we are fools. And I'm a bigger fool for being up here preaching something that is not real. But because I know that he lives, and because I know what he's done in my own life personally, And see, that's the greatest testimony you have is what God has done personally in your life. What God has brought you through. What God has delivered you from. What God has rescued you from. That is the testimony that we have. That God delivered me. God rescued me. God caused me to conquer this in my life. God allowed me to walk through this problem. He didn't remove the problem, but he gave me the ability to go through the problem and have victory. Now, these men were not only fearful, you need to understand that. They were trying to understand their future. And guess what you and I are also trying to understand? Our future yet. Why do I serve him? And it's meaningless. Why do I serve him? And it's useless. Why do I call on his name? And he may not be there. Let me share something with you. We grieve more over what we have lost sometime in the world. Because I can't do this. And I can't do that. I can't be a womanizer. 
I can't have more than one husband. I can't have this much money. I can't sell drugs. I can't do... We got more I can'ts, and the Bible gives you more I do's than you can't. But the question is this. Are you willing to do it? You're willing to do it. It's in the doing the blessings come. There's a lot of folks walking around here, and I didn't tell some of them. I'm blessed. I said, you keep that blessing because I don't want it. Looking at your life, if you say you're blessed, I don't want that. But in your obedience to God, you'll find a blessing that is there. And what we need to learn to do is to rejoice in what Christ has conquered for us through the resurrection. The blessing of that resurrection. Remembering what he's done for us. My Savior lives! I know that. He lives within my heart. He lives in me. He may not live in none of you, but I know this. He lives in me. And we need to be able to declare that to a dying world. You may not believe in Jesus Christ. You may not believe in my Savior. You may not believe in my coming King. But for me, I know he lives. And that's why I live for him. Secondly, Christ died for our sin, and Paul explains that. Because, see, if he didn't die for our sins, we are yet what? In our sins. But he died for my sins. And guess what? It removes from me. It removes from me. That thing that says that the wages of sin is what? Death. That no longer really matters to me. That's not part of my life anymore. For I understand because I believe in him. He is a rewarder of those who faithfully will follow after him and demonstrate their faith in him. Secondly, old death. Boy, I've already conquered death because of Jesus Christ. Death is no longer a fearful thing to me. Death no longer holds me bound. Now understand something. That doesn't mean I'm totally free of it. One of my fears, because sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night, I'm just jumping. Because I am fearful of something. One of my dreams one night was like I was being buried alive. And I couldn't break loose. And I woke up just in a sense of a sweat and everything. And then scripture came to me that he has conquered death for you. He has conquered death for you. And that allowed me to go back to sleep in peace. I've waken up with dreams from over Vietnam, taking off running. Jasper, were you there when they had the little saying in Vietnam? When you see those black men run, it's time for who? Everybody to run. 
understand. And you wake up with different little memories and so forth. But then, boy, Scripture comes. Forgetting the things that are what? Behind you. And press on. That's the blessing of the resurrection. Hey, I can still move forward. No matter what my past may be like. I can move forward. Hey, and death has no hold over me. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. Go there real quick. And pick up in verse 54. When the perishable have been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And then it says, where, O death, is your victory? Why? The grave can't hold me. The death can't hold me. Let me tell you a little story. Satan had a committee meeting. And Satan called in that committee meeting. He called forth. Boy, he called the cross. He called death. He called for the grave. And the whole thing about the thing was this here. Can we hold Jesus Christ? And Satan said to the cross, I'm the father of lies. I can get him to the cross. But the cross said, you can get him to me, but I can't hold him. And death spoke up. And death said, cross, if he dies on you, if you hold him long enough, and you let him die there on that cross, then I'll hold him. But I can only hold him for a while. And then grave spoke up. And grave said, get him to the grave. If Satan can tell a good enough lie to get him to the cross, and if the cross will allow death to take place, and if death takes place, and you get him to the grave, I'll hold him. And one Sunday morning, you heard the grave say, he's loose, he's free, he's risen, I can't hold him. And he conquered all that for me. He went through all that for me. The resurrection. I live with no fear of condemnation. That when I stand before Jesus Christ, there's no wrath. There's nothing but love. The resurrection allows me not to be fearful to see my Savior face to face, but it gives me a desire to want to see the one who saved me. It gives me a desire that I want to live for the one who saved me. It gives me a desire to speak his name even when I'm fearful. Because I know he lives. And there's no condemnation appointed unto me. And I know that I am a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I know why I have that privilege of crying out, Abba Father. Abba Father. It's through the resurrection that I know I am a son or daughter to the living God. I know that. I know that. Who I am. A lot of people out here trying to find themselves. Understand this. Satan wants you to be lost. And if he can put you chasing after the rabbit trail, 
you'll be going nowhere. And a lot of people in life go where? Nowhere. The same thing keeps happening to them year after year after year. I don't care if his boyfriend here and the new John Doe the next year or new Raymond the next year. Same thing with the men. You got a different woman here. You got a different woman here and so forth. What's happening? You're just going around in circles. Not establishing anything. Not really knowing what real love is. Not really knowing what God intended in marriage. You're just chasing after pleasure. You're just chasing after fulfilling your own personal need. You're running after all the wrong things. Go with me to First Second Timothy one two. Look what Timothy says, and this is something you need to be able to say for yourself. You need to be able to own it for yourself. And he says in that verse twelve, that is why I am suffering. Paul speaking about his suffering in a sense. That is why I'm suffering as I am, yet am not ashamed, because I know. See, the resurrection gives this, that I can know my Savior. I can know that he lives. I can know what he's done for me. I can know that he healed my cancer. I can know he straightened out my tongue that I wouldn't stammer or stutter anymore. I know that he can give me a wife that's faithful to me. I know that he will provide for me when I can't even prepare a table for myself. He'll prepare a table for me even in the presence of my enemies. I know what my God can do. And he says, I know. I know him. I know him for myself. Do you really know him for yourself? Do you really know him in the power of his word and in the power of his Holy Spirit? Do you know him? And he says, I know him. I know him. I know him. And what makes that possible is that he's alive. The resurrection. And he can speak to me. He can show me things that I wouldn't see with my own eyes. He's alive. He can give me discernment. He can give me wisdom. He can give me knowledge. He can give me strength to live this life. I know in whom I believe. I know. Do you really know who you believe? Don't believe in a pastor because a pastor can take you to hell quicker than anybody else. Don't believe in elders and deacons. Yes, we should respect those men and their titles when they're doing their job. Don't get a hero in your life other than Jesus Christ. And then get to know him. Get to know him for you can live for him. And he says, I know I have a home. Amen. Though this body decays, I know I have a home not made with the hands of man. I know that Jesus has gone forth to prepare a place for me. Because I know death is going to come. But death is not final. I still live. Though this body for a moment, you will one day go past in the casket. Understand something. I'm more alive then than I am now. And I'm seeing the one who I love. I'm seeing the one who died for me. 
I'm seeing the one who Paul says walked worthy of. I'm seeing the one that Paul says is your reasonable service that you would serve him. I'm seeing the one who has been faithful from the moment I accepted him till death. I'm seeing him. I know I have a home to go to because he's preparing that place for me even now. Jesus, I know. And I live in the power of the Holy Spirit. The reason a lot of failure in the Christian life is that we're not living it in the power of the Spirit of God. You might believe And you might have said a prayer, but the reason you're not living the life that you ought to be living, because the power of the Holy Spirit taking the things of Jesus and adding them into your life is missing. When you allow the Spirit of God to minister to you, he will enrich your life. He'll give you real purpose and desire to live. He is the one then who motivates you and show you things yet unseen. And he empowers you. And we have been promised that. Go with me to Acts 2. I'm just about done. Acts chapter 2. Because see, the promise is not just to them, but it's also to us. In 38 and 39 of 2, he says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, and every one of you in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now look what follows. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now look who's included in this promise. The promise is for you and your what? Children. It's passed down. It's an ongoing promise. It never stops because the promise is to you and to your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren. It's ongoing that I would have the Holy Spirit to be able to live this life. And he says, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are what? Afar off. I'm one of those that were afar off. Understand this. I may not have been in the mind of Sellers and Ruth Brown, but I was in the mind of God. And he thought about me and what my need was. In John 10, he says something very similar. Go to John 20. I said, but John 20. Look what takes place there. Look what Jesus says. And he's talking about you and I again. He's talking about me and you in this very moment in which we're living. He says in that verse 29, then Jesus said, Jesus told them, because you have seen me. Who's he talking to? The disciples. He enters that room, though the doors are locked. He enters in, and they see him. They can't figure out how he got in, but he's there. 
Some of you wonder how Jesus got into your business, but he's there. And he says, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Here's me. Here's you. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I haven't seen him. I haven't really put my arms around him. I didn't have the privilege of John and leaning my head against his breast and hear his heartbeat. I hadn't had the privilege to sit down at a table with him and break bread with him and eat with him. I hadn't had that privilege to travel with him and see him do the miracles that he's done. I didn't have that privilege to hear him teach personally in the synagogues or out in the open. I didn't have that privilege. But yet, I believe it all happened. And more than that, I believe he lived. More than that, I believe he lives today because he lives in me. And all that comes through the resurrection. I've not seen him, but I believe him. Closing, he is alive. You may doubt that. You may question that, that he is alive. But I challenge you on this one. Open your heart and your mind to him and see if he won't step in. As Ken said, he's in his living room and God came what? Right into his living room, right there in his messed up life, right in his drug infested life. Jesus stepped in. Jesus will step into your life if you allow him. You're the only one that keeps him out. You examine your thoughts. You examine what your needs are and ask yourself, am I taking care of me or is Jesus taking care of me? And this much I know about Gus Brown. Jesus is taking care of me. Not Gus Brown. He is alive. He's not in the grave. He is in heaven. Ruling over his people. He's in heaven. Ruling over his kingdom. And this is what I am assured of in closing. He's coming again. Because he's not in a tomb. He's coming again because he's not in a grave. He's coming. I don't know if you believe that or not. But let me share it with you one more time. He is coming. Ready or not, he's coming. Wanting him or loving him. He's coming. Believing in him, not believing in him. He's coming. Jesus is coming because he's alive. Amen? Praise God. Oh, Lord, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for this resurrected Sunday. And we thank you, Lord, that we can reflect upon it, that Jesus is no longer in the grave. But he liveth for us. 
And because he lives, he says, do this in remembrance of him. That, Lord, we can reflect upon him. We can think of the goodness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all that he's done for us. And that, Lord, as we come to this table, let us come with clean hearts. And all that's possible by us just being able to say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Lord, forgive me of my wrong thoughts. Lord, forgive me of my anger. Lord, forgive me for doubting you. Lord, forgive me. Wash me, cleanse me, that as I come before your table, O God, that I come with a clean conscience, I come with clean hands to receive that, O God, which you have given